Romans 3. I want to begin by reading just two verses, verses 19 and 20. We, we have looked at these before, but let's refresh our, our minds with that. And we're going to then pick up and go 21 through 26, which also we have read before and, and have looked partially at. But all uh, this portion of Scripture, especially in light of Communion Sunday, is more than worthy of many Sundays of consideration. And so let's begin Romans 3rd chapter, verses 19 and 20. I'll be reading from the New King James Version today. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before Him. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we, we give You thanks for Your Word. And I pray that even now that You'd pour out Your Spirit upon us, give us ears to hear, help us to know Your truth even in a deeper way than we ever have before. Open our eyes. And Lord, as always, should there be someone who would listen to this sermon who is yet lost, who is yet dead in their trespasses and sins, our Father, perform a miracle of mercy and open their eyes to see You, to see Your glory, to see Your righteousness, to see Your holiness. And, and in seeing You, Lord, they see their depravity. They see their sin. They, they see their need of a Savior. And Father, open their eyes to the message of the cross. Perhaps a message they have heard many, many times. And Lord, make it real to them. Make it real. And Lord, grant them faith that they might believe. And Lord, grant them repentance that they may confess their sins, turn from their sins and follow You. So Lord, help us to see You today. Lord, every heart here needs a touch from You. Help us, Father, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. I, just, just to reflect, just to go back, uh, from Romans, the first chapter, 18th verse on, up until this point, the, the Apostle Paul has been laying the groundwork, the foundation to present the truth that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. All of this, up until now, both Jew and Gentile, and he is talking and that apart from receiving by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile are sinful and under the wrath and condemnation of God. That there is no partiality with God. He's been hounding on it up until here. And, and he's going to keep talking about it. That, that, that Verse 19, that, just leave that up there. Now we know. A, a statement of absolute certainty. Now we know. Because of everything that he said, of the groundwork that he's laid. Now we know. That whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law that every mouth may be stopped. No excuses. And all the world may become guilty before God. You see, that this declaration allows no exceptions. 
no exemptions. Every unbelieving person, whether Jew or Gentile, is under the law, and all the world is guilty before God. There is no salvation. There is no justification provided by the law. The law only condemns. Why? Because no mere human possesses the ability to fully keep it. So it condemns. Does the law have purpose? Yes. I've I've talked about this many times. And it's worthy to be talked about over and over again. But it it comes up. What does the law do yet today? It reveals sin. It reveals sin. The law is not sin. But it reveals sin to the point that all are guilty before God because none could keep it. The Apostle Paul talked about this. This this will come uh, maybe this year. We may get to Romans 7. Uh, Romans 7, 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary. Now listen to what Paul says. I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. See, to to come to that realization that we are sinner. You can't be saved by grace until first you know you're a sinner in need of grace. See, that's... You know, Kev, the way of the Master, years ago, we we, we went through a bunch of that. That's, that's, That's their... Can I say method? That's their their method. Look at the Ten Commandments. Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever had a lustful thought? Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? And, And then take the Word of God and show them, these will have no part with me. And to show them apart from saving grace where their destination will be. And it's not going to be in heaven. The law is yet the tutor, the helper, the Word used by the Spirit to reveal our sin. It's it's the Word of God moved along by the Spirit of God that He will use, I believe, He uses to open our eyes. What did Paul say? Let's read again. I know I read these quite often. Galatians 3, verses 21 through 25. Is the law against the promises of God? (laughs) And then here's that emphatic two-word statement again. Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Let me pause there. (laughs) But it wasn't. But the Scripture has confined all under sin. And here he is with that same message over and over again. None guilty. I mean, none that can stand without guilt. But the Scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ 
that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We are then under grace. Under grace. Under grace. So Romans 3, let's read that 19 and 20 one more time. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law, under the law, why? That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So where's the hope? See, where, where, who can be justified before God then? How can we, how can we possibly stand justified before God. See, in this, Paul is getting to the good news. First, you have to have the bad news. You do. Your, your evangelistic method has to start with the bad news first. Don't start with love, love, love. Oh yes, say, you can say God is love, yes. But don't camp out there Because God is love, there are things that God hates, and God hates sin. And all have sinned. You have to go to the bad news before you can get to the good news. Paul is getting to the good news. Let's read 21 through 26. But now, see there's the turning point. Just those two words. There's the turning point. But now, The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. How is it revealed? How is it made manifest? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God sent His only begotten Son. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. I talked about this to some degree in the last sermon where we left off in the midst of this, because that would have got the ear of the Jew. If you if you say the law and the prophet, because they had heard that expression before, and so that would perk their ears. And in essence, what Paul is saying, you know, by this point, and we can read, and I think I've got a passage in here from the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul scorches them in the temple. This man that you have crucified, you see, the one that the law was setting up for, the one that the prophets had told you about, the, the Messiah that was written of long ago, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Who believe. For there is no difference All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because of His forbearance. God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can we stand justified before God? By grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in 
Christ Jesus. Justified. Preacher, what's that mean? Justified. Well, let me, let me give you the dictionary definition. This is Thayer's Bible Dictionary. Justified. To declare or pronounce one to be innocent in the sight of a judge. To pronounce someone innocent. But God is holy and righteous and just. Can He just declare a sinner innocent when we know we were all guilty? That, that's what everything Paul has been setting up to this point. All guilty. All enemies of God before grace. All in darkness. All far from Him. How can He just declare someone righteous? Sin must be dealt with. Amen? Sin must be dealt with. Make that a part of your evangelistic method too. Sin must be dealt with. A payment, a penalty, must be made record of. A just judge cannot just let a guilty party go free. Can they? No. If death is the punishment, and it was and is, could a righteous judge just release someone, pardon them of their crime? No. No. God could not do that. But there's another part of the definition you know, we hear the word pardon all the time, but, but there is more to this definition of, of justified. This, this is the word study dictionary. There is a permitting of one to bear for others their condemnation, judgment, punishment, or chastisement. Do you get that? There is a permitting of another, another one, to bear for others their condemnation, judgment, Punishment or chastisement. You see, the, the, penal, the, the penalty must be paid, but a substitute is allowed. And that is what Christ did on our behalf. He was a propitiation, a payment. He ransomed us. He paid for us by taking our sure punishment upon Himself. And in doing so, for those who believe, we were purchased, bought, at a great price. Grace comes freely to us through Christ, but it came at a great cost. You understand what I'm saying? It's a gift to us. For by grace we are saved through faith. That is a gift from God. You get a gift, did you pay for it? If you're receiving it from someone else, you didn't pay for it. It's a gift. And so the gift of grace to us came without cost to us, but it came at a great cost. It came at the, at the death of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And, and never forget that. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. You, you know these verses. Or do you not know 
that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. So, so who is this talking to? It's talking to the saved. It's talking to the redeemed that has the Holy Spirit in them. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Or you are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Child of God, if you are born again, it wasn't your doing, but it was Christ. It was Christ. And it's mercy. And it's great. And we were bought at a great price. Every true believer has been purchased, redeemed. That their debt of sin paid for by the blood of Christ. He became our substitute. He paid all our debt. Amen? Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white. As snow. You know, a lot of old songs come to mind. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that washes white as snow. Child of God, Christ has redeemed us back to God and has purchased us by His blood. I talked about a verse from Acts that, that Peter talked about. Look at Acts 13, or that, that Paul spoke of. Acts 13, 38, 39. And this is the, this is Paul. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, and who's the man he's talking about? Jesus. That through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Everyone who believes. I've read, we've got to pause here for a moment. I've got to ask that question again. Do you believe? Do you believe? By grace through faith, do you believe? John 3, verses 14 through 19. Let me read it. Listen, you know it. I've read this so often. And I ask the question, do you believe? And there's no more important question on the face of this planet than this question, do you believe? And the answer, the true answer to this determines your Eternal destination, heaven or hell? It does. Do you believe? And, got to qualify this even in the midst of that. Is it a belief unto salvation? Because even the demons, the devils, they believe and they tremble. And why do they tremble? Because they know it's true and they know what their end will be. They're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And so, is your belief better than the demons? Is your belief 
unto, unto salvation. Well, how do I know, preacher? Well, we just, just talked about the Spirit that is within the believer. Does the Spirit of God tell you that you're born again? Because I can't. Your mom and dad can't. Your brother or sister can't. No one on the face of this planet can tell you you're a true believer and that you're saved other than yourself. And if you don't know, if you can't say without any question that I'm saved, then you keep praying and you keep seeking the Lord. Do you believe? Let me read. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, Jesus, be lifted up. Lifted up on a cross. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. This comes to those who believe. Here's the verse everybody knows. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that, that, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. Amen? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He who believes in Him is not condemned. Now listen, listen. But he who does not believe is condemned already. You've heard the expression, dead men walking? Every unbeliever on the face of this planet, they're dead men walking. And apart from a miracle of mercy, if they die that way physically, he who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Why is anybody condemned? There it is. They have not believed in the only begotten Son of God. They have not believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. But aren't you thankful for the truth of God's Word and the Spirit of God that does miracles? In Romans 10, verses 9-13, through 13, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me pause here again. What's that mean, saved? What are you saved from? Saved from wrath. Saved from condemnation. Saved from hell. That's what you're saved from. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Oh, I believe. I believed him. Yeah, I invited Jesus in my heart. How many times have you heard that? I'll just invite Jesus in your heart. Well, what's that mean? And if somebody says, "Well, I invited Jesus into my heart," I'll ask him, "What's that mean?" How do you know He came in? Well, I ask Him to. How do you know He came in? Well, I don't know. Don't you think you ought to know? Did you confess your sin? I think I did. Do you see? Do you see? It's almost like entrapment. Say this little prayer. Invite Jesus in your heart. I pronounce you saved. What a heresy, is it not? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? 
That's, that's it. That's it. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Preacher, I don't know. Keep calling on the name of the Lord. Read the Word of God. And keep praying until you know. Until you know. Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood. So who's it talking about? The ones who have been justified. This is the believers. Having now been justified by His blood, we shall be, here it is, saved from wrath through Him. See, that's what, that's what you'll be saved from. Oh, how could that be? Because Jesus Christ was our substitute. That's how. And can it be that I should gain? Second huh. Corinthians 5, verse 21. For He, who's this He? This is God. For God made Him, who's this Him? Jesus Christ. For He made Him who knew no sin. The perfect Lamb of God. Unblemished, unspotted Lamb of God. Jesus for He made Him who knew no sin to be what? Sin. Why? To be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The perfect Lamb of God, giving Himself, going to pay the price, to be the propitiation, we are saved by grace through faith in a substitute that God Himself provided, that God Himself appointed, and that is Jesus Christ. Brian read this, but I'm going to read it again. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Oh, man. <laughs> There's an indictment to the Pharisees, was it not? And their traditions. You're not going to buy your way in. You're not going to purchase or for, for someone else, what's the word? Indulgences to get them in. doesn't happen. Redemption is not purchased by silver and gold or by following traditions of men. But how is it? How does it come? But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I want to read some more passages. that, that There's probably no portion of Scripture that talks about sacrifice and redemption more than the book of Hebrews that uh, chapters 8, 9, 10, and, and that 
in that range. And we're just going to read a few verses. I know I read these a lot, but oh, at a time such as this, what a great place to go to. Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12. But Christ came as high priest. Let me pause there. Didn't get very far, did it? High priest. What did the high priest do once a year on the Day of Atonement? What did he do? He would take the blood sacrifice into the tabernacle through all of the process, everything, but ultimately going to the curtain, the Holy of Holies. Inside was the the ark, the top piece of the ark called the mercy seat. Now, several commentators said, because the Greek word for propitiation, they say that the equivalent word in the Hebrew is the word we translate as mercy seat. Where did the propitiation take place? The mercy seat. The high priest would go in, offer the blood sacrifice for the atonement of sin for that year. Once a year. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. The high priest, Jesus, not with the blood of goats and calves, but giving His own blood. That's what He did. That's the substitution. Let's go into chapter 10. Verses 4 through 14. Just let the Word of God speak to you this morning. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Not possible. Well, why didn't, let me pause again. So, why did God ordain this? <laughs> because it was setting the stage for that which is to come. That's why. It's setting the stage. For what is to come. It's giving a picture of the Messiah who is coming. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Therefore, when He came into the world, who's the He who came into the world? The Word became flesh, Jesus. He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Who's the you there? That's God the Father. This is Jesus having that conversation. But a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. And I could pause there again. Well, if he had no pleasure, why did he do it? Because it was setting the stage. Never forget that. Then I said, Behold, this is Christ, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. See, and there it is. In the volume of the book, it is written to me by the law and the prophets. There it was again. You see that? In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. 
Why did Christ come? To do the will of God. Previously saying, verse 8, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. The first what? Covenant. To establish the new covenant in my blood, he will say. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, I have come to do your will, O God. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, (laughs) but this Jesus, this Savior, this Redeemer, this Jesus, after He had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till His enemies are made His footstool. For by one offering, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Amen. Praise the Lord. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 For Christ also suffered once for sin. No more repeating of sacrifice year after year. No more need of the priest going in. And to to make that very clear, when Christ died on the cross, what happened to the veil that separated the tabernacle, the rest of the tabernacle from the Holy of Holies? Torn from top to bottom. No longer needed. Because now, through Christ, we enter. We enter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That He may, might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Christ died the atonement for sin. Hebrews 10, let's read verses 19 and 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us, that is through the veil, that is His flesh. Jesus provided a new and living way. Matthew 26, verse 28. For this is My blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of of sins. See, Christ has redeemed the believer from the curse of the law, from sin, from the hand of the enemy. And so for the redeemed, what should our song be? (laughs) Redeeming love will ever be my song. Psalms 107, verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Justification, redemption, propitiation, all Christ, all Him, all through the blood of Christ. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I give thanks again. How can we cease from giving thanks for the truth of Your Word? How can we cease from giving thanks that You provided a way through Christ that we might come to You? And we know there is no other way only through Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to You except through Him. So, Father, for the redeemed, let us not be shy, but let us say so. And, Lord, one of the ways that we can say so in giving thanks is through participation of the Lord's Supper. And so, Father, I I pray that, that You have prepared all our hearts to receive. And we give thanks that You provided this means that we can remember the cross of Christ of His body broken and His blood that was shed for the remission of sin. And Father, again, should there be one who is yet lost, who has heard the words this morning, but it just didn't really stick. It didn't really make much sense. It just sounds like a bunch of foolishness. And, and I understand that because Your Word tells us that's true. But perhaps there's one where there's a glimmer that you are beginning that process of opening their eyes to the truth of your holiness and of their sin. So Lord, provide a miracle of mercy. Open their eyes that they might see the truth. Open their ears to the truth that they have heard. And again, perhaps they've heard over and over again. Make it real. Father, draw them to Yourself, I pray. So now, Father, I I just ask that You'd help us as as we enter the communion service, Lord, to keep our thoughts to things above, to just rejoice in knowing that we know You. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.